What's going on everyone, Alex De Silva, and welcome to another episode. I have a very special and very dear friend and guest, um, Kev, come over and talk about his, his, his life and his incredible experience, you know, around um, addiction. He's going to talk about, you know, what happened to him in his past life, how he managed to completely transform his life and overcome addictions and you know today his goal is to to live an incredible life you know and just keep working every single day to to better himself so kev welcome to the show brother cheers it's good to see you man yeah and you know what this is a a, an amazing journey because i remember i remember meeting you the first time you know i remember when i first saw you and i've known you you know, for, for over a year now, you know, and, and I've seen your life just change completely, you know, from that first day when you, you came into to, to recovery and, you know, and, and just, you know, then on. So, do you know what? I'm just going to open up the, 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 the room here for you to, to share your experience with, you know, with, with everybody, you know, talk about, I guess, let's start from the beginning. I think that's the best place to start, you know, Talk about you and, and what happened to you and, and, and your addiction. Okay, I suppose the easiest way for me to do to do this is, you know, I always announce myself at meetings as, as hi, I'm Kev, I'm an addict. <clears throat> and for me, that's, that is true from a, from a very early age, even though I didn't know that at the time. Um, you know, I could probably trace my addictive tendencies or, or, or precursors to addiction, as I understand them, probably back to well, like six or seven years old, you know, mm. to my very first memories. Um, you know, my story, is a lot around fear, and, mm -hmm. you know. Obviously, you know, I suppose I'm quite nervous now doing doing this sort of thing. But yeah, my, my whole life was absolutely intense fear. No, nothing in comparison to what I'm feeling now. You know, I remember very early on as a little boy being absolutely terrified of absolutely everything. You know, I go, I'd go to extreme lengths to try and avoid situations where I would I would be put with them, put with a lot of people. Very socially awkward even around people who are my friends, you know, mm. you know, I had some really good friends even mm. from, from younger, younger age, but I remember mm. walking home from school and my school was probably only five, 10 minutes away from my house, but I'd take a 20, 30 minute walk home regularly to avoid my friends after school because I know they'd ask me, are you coming around tonight? Are you coming mm. out to play? And that would just, you know, that, and, it, and for me, what it was, it was, you know, going around someone's house, first of all, I'd have to be in someone else's environment with their parents, maybe. And it just made me feel really awkward. Um, I suppose my first kind of addictions, if you like, were, you know, toys, um, massive Star Wars fan, you know, yeah. a couple of Star Wars tattoos. And um, but what I would do is I would, I would probably play addictively. So, you know, the second I got home from school, all the way through till, till the evening, I wouldn't be the sort of kid that would go out and play football. Or if mm. I did, I'd hate it. Yeah. Um, and that progressed very quickly as soon as computer games came along, sort of like your Amiga 600s and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's a game, there's a game called Football Manager. Yeah. And uh, I know lots of people know about Football Manager, but you know, I would get up at school holidays. It, it took my school holidays. You yeah. know, I would get up at, I don't know, seven o'clock in the morning, put it on and I'd be there till, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night or whenever I went to bed. Mm. And it would, and what I would do is, Games like Call of Duty or any sort of games where you run around and blow stuff up was no good for me. Yeah. Because it didn't allow me to immerse myself in the story. You know, right. I, I, would, I would take Football Manager to, to a ridiculous level where I could 
almost pretend I was the manager, talk to the players while the game's loading mm. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, but back then it was just being a kid. You know, mm. I thought that's what other people did and I assumed that everyone else felt as awkward as I did in all these sort of mm. situations. It's the fantasy, isn't it? Yes. That's, that's, that's the thing. And it's funny, as soon as you said about, you know, not playing those, you know, shoot them up games, <clears throat> because you, you know, you wanted to be immersed in the story. The first thing that popped into my head, and I've still got it there, is um, the GTA games. Because yeah. it's a story, mm -hmm. you know, and it just goes on and on and on. And I remember exactly the same. I would just get completely immersed in, you know, in the story of this gangster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Until the point where it just took over. Yeah, and it did. It, it absolutely took over. And, uh, you know, I think as you grow up, you know, at a certain point, I realised that playing with action figures, you know, was no longer no longer cool. Mm. You didn't get a chance to, to, you know, you couldn't talk about that in the playground, etc. Um, but there was a common interest in, in, in football manager or whatever other games it would be, whether it be GTA or something like that. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of that was kind of my first addiction. When I look back at it now, um, you know, I believe it's a disease. And you know, for me, I always suffered with you know that disease of feeling less than, and that's a massive mm. thing for me. I very much struggled to. To feel, to feel a part of anything in, in that I always didn't feel I was good enough um, to be around people. I always felt very self-conscious, massive body issues from an early age and even even now, I know I spend a lot of time on my shirt off at the gym, but, <laughs> but even, even now I've got massive body issues and you know, mm. that, all that sort of stuff bites away at me. You know, yeah. I think from a very early age I had a very uh, active head and my head took every opportunity to, to pick at me. Um, mm. And I suppose the substance abuse took off. It probably took off the second I picked up substance. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember loosely, I don't know how accurate my memories are, but, you know, 13, 14, started smoking weed. Mm -hmm. And I just assumed that I smoked weed like everyone else. But I didn't know that I used to take it home. Um, and for the first time I smoked, I remember, even though I wasn't a daily smoker at the start, I remember on a Monday, that I'd be full of this fear and anxiety about what was going to happen Friday when we were meant to pick up, you know, how much were we getting, who was going to get it, where were we going to meet, how much did I have to bring, you know, drug dealers traditionally are late, if you, if you know anything about drug dealers, trust mm -hmm. me, they are traditionally late, um, and I'd cluck, you know, I'd, I'd have that horrible sense of fear and anxiety waiting for mm -hmm. this, waiting for this drug that, to be fair, I probably only used once, mm -hmm. um, but it was instant, you know, that, that I yeah. needed that something, and that something that I got was... Um, it was ease and comfort, I suppose, as I understand it today. It, it took the edge off, you know. And I don't think it ever gave me what I was looking for. Weed. It was um, it was weed and pot was a lot, a lot of my thing. Didn't particularly like drinking at that age, although I did. I think I did that more because I was, um, you know, it was a peer group type thing, and everyone else was doing it. Yeah. And no one forced me to. No one held a gun to my head. I did that at my own free will. Mm -hmm. um, and I got, I suppose, like most young lads, I got pretty trashed pretty early on. Threw up mm -hmm. a few times. Um, but weed was something I could smoke and sort of kind of carry on like a normal existence. I could kind of do stuff. You know, I remember even during my A-levels, I used to smoke between classes. You know, I used to smoke heavily early on, very quickly. Mm. Um, I'd always have it at home. And I noticed it became a problem, I suppose, if I'm honest. When I first started working at about 15, 16, 16, 17, I would then get that feeling of what I now guess is withdrawal, you know, when I couldn't just smoke as and when I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and I became really uneasy, you know, I needed something else. Um, 
cocaine was always my drug of choice. You know, if I, mm. if I had a if I had a drug of choice, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, when I took cocaine, my life changed completely. Yeah. You know, I said that weed didn't give me perhaps what I wanted. Cocaine did. Mm. You know, I was I was a child that feared social interaction. Um, you know, and even as an adult, I feared social interaction. I, I remember going out of the, to the pubs at 17, 18. There used to be loads of us, you know, down, down the local mm. um, pub, which would be the Broadway and Letcher, as it, as it was then. And before we went, I was absolutely full of nerves every single mm. week because yeah. I'd be re- around another 20 or 30 blokes, you know, and I suppose there's a lot of masculinity going on there. Mm. And, you know, yeah, just, a lot of bingos. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely, you know, because, you know, everyone's trying to vie for, for that sort of position. That's just how it was. You know, no one was mm. out of war in particular. Yeah. But it just felt like I just never felt comfortable. Mm. Um, I got caught up in the Britpop culture, um, you know, the Oasis <laughs> thing and all that sort of stuff. I got, you know, and I got in there early because I don't think at any point in my life I had an identity um, because I was very much, if you told me something was cool, I'd just nod and say, yeah, that's cool, mm. you know, because I hadn't got the strength of character to say whether I agreed or disagreed with yeah, anything. Of course. Just, that was just my journey. Um, and uh, yeah, but then, then Oasis came along and I, you know, I felt, like I was, I had a direct line to Noel Gallagher, I suppose, you know, when he said something, he was talking to me because, you know, some of the stuff he said really made sense, Yeah. you know, and whilst I'd never, I'd never be arrogant enough to, to blame anyone for my drug use, and I do remember, or my memory as it serves, tells me that I heard an interview with, um, with him about, I think it was about the Bonner Brit Awards, and, mm. and I'm sure he was challenged about cocaine use, and he basically pointed to all these people in the room saying, you take it, you take it, and so do I, you know, or something along those lines, and it kind yeah. of just broke down all those barriers that I set up. Mm. I never set out to be a junkie, you know. Mm. I never, never set out to go into active addiction. Um, it was a, mm. you know. In fact, I, I was adamantly against class A drug use. You know, yeah. I'd see people that were taking class A and just think they were complete wasters. Yeah. And then, you know, then I heard this about well, actually, it might be a bit cold to take to take coke, and mm. I think within seven days, I took my first line. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> And you know what? I remember the first time we did a line. There was there was four or five of us around someone's flat, and someone chopped it up. And I remember thinking, do you know what? That's not big enough. Uh, bearing in mind, I've never ever experienced any form of class A drug use. Yeah. How was I meant to know whether it was going to be good or bad, or what it would do? But I remember thinking it was never enough. And yeah. to be fair, I suppose that's the only thing I was ever right about. Yeah. You know, because it never was. Yeah. You know that one that one line when I took it. You know, it still gives me. I think we call it euphoric recall yeah. in, in recovery. And I think yeah. it's um, for, for anyone who understands that, you know, I still, you know, love the feeling of that first line. Mm. You know, there's, there's, you know, I would love to tell you that my drug use was all terrible, and you know, and just say no, but it wasn't. You know, mm. it gave me something that I couldn't have for myself. Yeah. That first line changed me completely. Mm. It changed the way I was. All yeah. of a sudden, all those things that I could never do. You know, talking to girls, being around other people, um, I could do them. Yeah. you know instantly and again I didn't become a class A drug user or a cocaine user instantly um, daily <laughs> but the, the feeling was tenfold you know if we were picking up Friday I desperately wanted to know when yeah. what time who I would be there early you know I'd be clucking <laughs> and I remember I, straight away I think like two or three weeks in I'd buy my own one I'd still get one to share with the other guys yeah. but in case we got separated <laughs> pretty good out in lecture yeah. there's probably three pubs at the time yeah. so the chances of getting separated from your mates was pretty slim yeah. um, but that, you know that's the lie that's the lie that my head told me you know just mm. get one just in case yeah. you know, and really it was just an excuse so I could take more yeah. um, and unfortunately do you know what for me the way I interpret it my head tells me that it was just um, I was good at it 
you know, mm. I was good at taking drugs. Yeah. I used to, we used to have people around my house. I'm sure mum and dad have killed me if they ever heard this, but uh, <laughs> they probably heard worse to be fair in the last year. Yeah. Um, and we had a coffee table that was a fair size. And, you know, some of the guys that I hung around with dealt and they used to, as a, I felt like a show pony, they, they'd rack up a line that was the width of the coffee table and, you know, it'd be like, go and do that because I could. And mm. other people, other people wouldn't do that mm. because I could take drugs to the extreme, you mm. know? And to be fair, it was never enough. Yeah. Um, and I suppose cocaine provided me with this fake rock and roll lifestyle, you know, there's, mm. there's no parallels, is there? I'm living in the council house in Letchworth driving a Renault Clio and, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like a rock and roll star because yeah. all of a sudden I can do whatever I, you know, I never, never could before. And again, like I say, it was pretty much weekend usage like other people, but I know today that that, that usage changed me. Um, my career took off, um, mm. you know, and I started doing very, very well at work. I worked in construction industry for you know, big retailers and became a manager very quickly. So I had access to a, a good amount of money. Yeah. And then at some point the weekend usage was daily, not daily usage. It was a couple of times a week. Uh, and then the frequency of my going out as, as my crowd of friends changed, you know, I, I gravitated towards people like me. Yeah. You know, I think naturally we do. Don't yeah. We? I think absolutely. it's when we're in that kind of position, especially cause you touched on, you know, how you were feeling, you know, with regards to, to that, that fear, you know, just feeling uncomfortable in social situations. You know, I remember exactly the same. I remember the first time I ever tried drugs, you know what I mean? Or cocaine, should I say? So, you know, like you, I tried puff and stuff like that, but my mates would do it a couple of times and would always go too far. You know, I would always try to drink everyone under the table. For me, as you said, it was, it was almost like a challenge. It was a game to just want to, you know, outdo everyone. And it was the same thing, you know, the, the first time I did that, that first line and I remember just thinking that's not big enough and also because he did me half a line and he did himself a fat line and I went mate that is definitely not yeah. that's not cool make it the same size although I've never done it before previous to that I was massively against it all of a sudden I'm an expert calling a shot saying that's not big enough you know and like you you know I um I needed it do you know what I mean it was this thing as soon as I knew what we're going out on Friday we're going to get it exactly that I'd get myself you know an extra couple for me do you know what I mean and then just make sure that you know we all had enough to share but it's insane sorry go on carry on this no it is absolutely insane because you're right you you kind of reminded me I can't remember a time where I went out to the pub and didn't have any Mm. you know and that's you know that's going back to sort of 17 18 years old yeah that's 20 years for me yeah 20 years whilst my using wasn't destructive for 20 years, mm. it was, um, you know, it was insidiously creeping up on me, you know, yeah. and uh, because when I bought my house in Stevenage, um, I, I found a local pub, started playing the pool team. And like I said, I surrounded myself with people, mm. you know, who didn't perhaps didn't use like me, but they used very similarly to me, Yeah, you know, and, uh, and my assumption was that every time I went down a pub, someone would have it. So I had to have it. And to be fair, it made me feel comfortable around myself. And at some point it started creeping into, I think it was to recover from the night before because I, I still worked a high pressure job. <clears throat> and I knew if I got up in the first thing in the morning and perhaps finished off what I might have left that tiny little bit I might have left before, it would just wake me up enough for work. I can't tell you at what point I crossed, I crossed the line and it was all day, every day. Um, mm. But I would, probably, I would probably say I used absolutely against my will for the last 10 years. You know, I, mean, I was at the point where I could not stop, whether yeah. I wanted to or not. Um, absolutely impossible for me to stop. I might have stopped for days, mm. um, and it would have been days. Uh, uh, and 
it got to the point where I used to not use on a Sunday for a period of time. Mm. I used to be quite proud that I didn't use for a Sunday. You know, normal yeah. people listening to this would be <laughs> horrified. If you didn't use drugs for one day a week. Yeah. And which sounds absolutely horrendous. Even to me, it sounds horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Sunday was the worst day of the week. Yeah. You know, and the reason it was the worst day of the week was because <clears> I had no substance in me to change the way I felt. Yeah. So I was left with myself. Yeah. You know, I could talk to you all day long about my cocaine abuse and the crazy shit I've done for cocaine and you know where it took me to. Mm. But what I know today is that the problem was always with me, mm. you know, and it was always about my head and and what my head would tell me and you know how how I reacted. And I don't know, you know, perhaps I, my head is no different to a, to a, a non non addict. You know, perhaps people feel and have these same emotions. But all I can tell you is I could not cope with them. And I didn't use, I didn't know I was using to change the way I felt. Mm. I know that on retrospect, you know, from, from what I've learned in recovery. Yeah. Um, and for the, for the time that I've had clean, thank God. But um, yeah, so, you know, it started creeping in. And I do remember starting to take some when I had a big meeting or a big presentation. Yeah. And then, Is that like a confidence boost? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. I'd, you know, I'd have to stand up in front of you know, 20 or 30 other managers and do high level presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, I got to the point where I could take a lot of cocaine and no one would know. And when I say mm. used against my will for 10 years, my wife, we're still together on paper, although I haven't seen each other for the, the time I've been in recovery. That, that was a consequence of my actions. Yeah, of course. And I'll get to that in a, in a bit. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I used for probably for best part of four years every single day and she didn't know. She had right. no idea. Right. Um, you know, because I can only talk about myself, but... I was great at hiding it. Yeah. You know, I think um, my parents didn't know I had a problem. No one knew I had a problem. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the only people that knew I had a problem were drug dealers. Yeah. You know, because they'd be getting two and a half, three thousand pounds a week out of me. That's, you know, that's. Bloody hell. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, it cost me. And we, when I came into recovery, <laughs> it was a, it was a mess. It was an absolute disaster. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we worked out that I probably spent over a quarter of a million pounds in two years. You know. We know that I spent over ninety thousand pounds in nine months. Yeah, um, and my usage wasn't always like that. Not yeah. that's that's a good thing, but I'm just saying that it escalated to a point where I could not stop at any point during the day. Yeah. You know, if I lasted twenty minutes not using towards the end, that was it was a horrendous experience for me because I couldn't go twenty minutes without it. Yeah. I'd sniff on the M25, and I literally used to work in Hamworth towards the end, yeah. um, the end of my using. Um, I would, I'd have two grams on the way to work, you know, just that would be at 6.30, sometimes earlier, sometimes five o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, and the only way you can drive from Letcher to Hamworth, which is sometimes two or three hours and use is to do it on the move. Yeah. And I did, you know, I'm <laughs> completely ashamed to say that, but you know, yeah. it took me to some awful places. You know, yeah. I could not stop. I'd use constantly all day, every day. I'd make up false meetings. Um, I think my, my, my using turned dark. Um, because I said earlier on, it was very much about the rock and rock and roll lifestyle mm. and having that confidence to go out and talk to girls yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I never felt like I had anyone to, to share that, to share that side of things with. And, you know, the, my nan was extremely close to me and she was actually mm. a really important person in my life. And, yeah. and she passed away when I was 28. And I think she was the only person that kind of, she didn't get my truth as it were, as in the whole truth, but yeah. I, we sort of skirted around issues that I had and I felt like I had someone I could talk to who, who probably understood how I felt because she mm. sort of 
I think she emphasised and she she had some of those same sort of traits, you know. She yeah. she'd have been a great she'd been a great addict. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can say that, you know, because I know a lot of addicts in recovery and fantastic yeah. people, so that's a compliment, you know, in a way. Yeah. Um but when she when she went to pass away, you know, that was um that hit me hard. Um yeah. first person I've ever lost in my life. Yeah. You know, and I remember in my addiction <clears throat> I was completely selfish. Yeah. You know, and I remember the day I found out she was gonna pass away and we had a little bit of time left. Um mum and dad came around the house and uh, where i lived and they told me and i remember getting them out of the house as quickly as possible because i knew that i was going to break mm. you know and i was i hated showing emotion in front of people because i protected myself from that for such a long period of time you know yeah. you didn't show emotion in yeah. front of people especially as a man you know that's, that's yeah. not what happened yeah um and i got my mum and dad out of the door and i just broke down uh, you know and I, I sobbed and i cried and and it felt like it was hours, uh, but it probably wasn't, you know. And uh, when I find that when I was exhausted from crying and sobbing, I kind of sort of I remember laying on the floor. And do you know what I'd done? Is all the only person I was sobbing and crying for wasn't for my nan that you know was going to pass away in a, in a very short period of time. All I remember thinking was, how am I going to cope? Who am I going to talk to now? And I think that's kind of when I realised how selfish and, you know, how deep I'd become because I knew even at 26, 27, 28, yeah. you know, I, I knew even then that I had a serious problem. Yeah. Um, even though I was probably not using in the quantities that I ended up in using, I mean, yeah. Um, so I, and was there, and I was just going to ask, because, I mean, I mean, your, your story is, is incredible, you know, and the, the one thing I just wanted to... Um, to know is I'm kind of listening to you now and I'm sure people who are listening as well will probably be wondering the same. It's like, was there any point, you know, as you're going through this madness? Because, you know, I, I've been asked this question before, well, why can't you just stop? You know what I mean? Which is that kind of that, that, that obvious question. Why can't you just stop? I mean, I understand today why I can't just stop and I understand why you can't just stop. You know, I understand that, that, that pattern of behavior now and, you know, and the fact that the brain is here to protect us do you know what I mean and what the brains learn is that you know when we're feeling that emotional pain distress you know discomfort obsession whatever it is we want to trigger it what the brain turns around and remembers is well this is how you protect yourself you know this is what you do to to self-medicate so you know all the brain's telling us is I understand is the brain just turns around and says, well, look, this is what we do. So why don't you just go and do this? So was there at any point, you know, like when you were driving to work, you said you're like driving to work and you're kind of using on a go and, you know, and you're, you're, you're married and you know, your wife knows nothing about it. Your parents and, you know, your grandmother, you try to, I guess from how I, I, I listening is you're almost like there is this pain in you where you're trying to grasp yourself up, mm-hmm. but it's just not there. Was there any point where you thought, got to stop doing this yeah man i wanted to stop for a long time and mm. <laughs> um, you know i said earlier on i used against my will for 10 years um, yeah you know i think i think it all hit me around about the time that man passed away because my, my drug use was then not so much social yeah it wasn't about going out and having a good time at that right. you know in fact then i could justify it because i went out four or five times sometimes a week yeah. you know so it was like because i'm going out that's okay once man passed away you know it changed instantly my, my drug use changed instantly and i became someone who would sit in and drink four or five cans of beer, four or five. Mm. <laughs> That's ridiculous. More like 10, 11 or 12. <laughs> I don't know how I can still just pull it back in. Um, yeah, no. so, I would, um, so what I would do is I'd sit in and drink, and drink on my own uh, yeah. with, with my wife, um, who would, uh, you know, she'd be doing what she did and came home and I'd be cooking the dinner and I'd, I'd make excuses. 
and then I started using that home because if I drink, I use, and if I use, I drink. You know, yeah. I, I could use anywhere, but you give me a drink, I've got to use. Yeah. And I knew it was wrong. And if I'm honest, I knew, you know, that, that, I think that day when I broke down, I think I knew that I, I couldn't stop. But the trouble is for me is, you know, and it might be cowardly, I don't know, it depends on people's perception, I suppose, and that's, that's down to them. And I could never ask for help, mm. you know, and uh, I suppose to cut a long story short, my drug use escalated. Um, and it was a slow burn for me, you know, how I survived the last 10 years, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Um, because no one knew I did get caught once by my wife um, mm. probably about four years ago and she told me point blank you know she, she she pulled out every stop that she could you know bless her you know she said yeah. to me that you know what would your man think and you know these things really hurt me mm. and fair play because she should have used every tool she could because mm. she caught me using and I said I wasn't and mm. um, you know she thought I was just using when I went out but I was using at home um, and she said if you ever use again I'm going to leave you and when I told her that I was never going to do it, I desperately wanted it to be true. Mm. And I used again the next day yeah. because I could not stop. Yeah. You know? But just, just perhaps so people can understand a little bit, I would still drive to work in the morning and I would see people sitting on the side of the road, road with their cans of skull, perhaps builders that are going to pick their, mm. picked up. And I used to think, yeah, what, what? Hatbox scumbags, mm. you know. I'm sniffing cocaine, driving yeah. along, mm. and I used to be working at people drinking cans of cider at seven o'clock in the morning, thinking, you know, I'm never going to get like that, mm. you know, because that's how my head works. Yeah. You know? And I was like, you know, perhaps, perhaps in my foolish illusion, I, I could stop when I wanted. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't, you know. And uh, but I think it's it's also it's like we we separate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We separate ourselves from other people. We, we, although our self-esteem is, is rock bottom, the reason we started doing it is because we wanted to change. We wanted to get a bit of a booster, you know, in confidence. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I remember for me the first time, you know, I'd just come out of another long-term relationship, which I again self-sabotaged, yeah. you know, and drinking wasn't doing anything anymore for me and i was kind of just drinking my sorrow i was feeling sorry for myself and and when i saw people at a party talking having fun and it seemed as though wow this shit ain't that bad really mm -hmm. you know what's the big deal about it yeah. and then you know when i kind of started it's that first high isn't it and we're, we're then trying to chase that confidence that it's almost like you know, you get shown the confidence and then disappears and we're just trying to grasp for it and, you know, just trying to grab onto it for, for, for dear life, you know, by just using more and more and more. And it's just insanity, man, the, that, that feeling of, of desperation and, you know, and, and as, as you were saying about watching somebody else drinking, yeah. you know, a, a can of beer in the morning or whatever it is yeah. and saying, what a fucking scumbag, yeah. not realising that actually... You're just as bad as he is. You know what I mean? I was just as bad as he is, yeah. you know. And and we've come to realise now, I know that we both know this, that I remember even thinking, you know, when people used heroin or crack or stuff like that, I used to think you're a fucking scumbag. Yeah. You are the scum of the earth. But there is no difference between a person that does and me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I understand that today. You know. It was only a matter of time, you know, and I know a lot oh. of people are horrified by this, you know, when I say that if I'd have had heroin or crack around me at the point where cocaine was no longer available, I'd have taken it. God, yeah. Because I, I know, you know, and I, I often flirted with the idea as the money was running out because 
and not in my position to spend that sort of money and not have I haven't got account in the source and I was having to do some awful things just to, to get that sort of money together mm. um, and uh, I would have done it definitely you know mm. and um, for me I mean I know a little bit more about stuff today I, I took over those quantities every night for four years mm. you know I took enough to kill myself by accident yes. every mm. night you know acute cocaine and intoxication was, was a real possibility for me yeah. every night for four years what were you doing like in in terms of amount, do you remember? Would you know? Up to twelve grams a day. Jesus. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's not. You know, a lot of people sort of look at you and think, "Well, that's impossible." Trust me, it's not. Um, mm. You know, what happened with me towards the back end of my using? I went off work with depression. No. Which was, uh, <laughs> to do with depression. No. Um, I know that now. Um, you know, work were trying to get rid of me because I was. Uh, you know, if I'm honest, if, you know, if we're honest, I was never there. And when I was there, I was just nut and trying to hold it together because it got worse like I say mm-hmm. and my cognitive function mm-hmm. started to fall to pieces because yeah. you can't hold this life together for, for an infinite amount of time yeah and um, you know and if, when I look back at pictures of me now I just think to myself Jesus how did no one notice because I looked mm-hmm. like death when I came into recovery yeah but I suppose people hadn't seen it because of that gradual progression yeah and they just thought I looked like that because that's how it happened yeah um life just took its toll basically yeah yeah so, so, yeah, so I was off work, you know, imagine if a drug addict that cannot stop sniffing and using, and perhaps the only thing that does stop him sniffing and using is when he's got his wife around or when there's family around or when he's at work. Mm. All of a sudden, I was on home on my own every day, you know, yeah. with a drug dealer or several drug dealers because I used to rotate them because I didn't want them thinking I had a problem. That's how bad my problem yeah. was. Um, you know, if he didn't work and live less than two minutes away, yeah. um, you know, he used, to, he used to send me text messages if his daily routine would change. Yeah. Because if he was taking his kids swimming out at such and such and so on, it was he knew it would interfere with my usage. He prepped me at seven yeah. o'clock in the morning. Wow. But it was all my doing because I, I surrounded, I set these things up. I met people. I, I built these relationships with people so my using could be continued. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. You know, they were just I don't hold any negative thoughts to, to drug dealers. They were just yeah. doing whatever they do. Um, well, it's not their fault, is there? I guess to, to a certain extent, because if if you know. If we were to see it realistically, and you know this, mm-hmm. we have to take responsibilities for our own actions. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? They didn't turn around and tie you to a chair and pump you full of 12 grams every day, did they? Do you know what I mean? You made that, that decision. Although, you know, it, I guess it kind of got to a point, as you said, you know, you were literally just, you had no control over it. Do you know what I mean? You couldn't stop doing it. You, and especially at that high dosage as well. I think if you were to just, you know, cut yourself out of it, probably have a heart attack it was close yeah um, i suppose the, the tail end of my story is that um eventually i got caught um you know i got caught by, by my wife um, yeah. my strange wife you know, a schoolboy error i got caught by a text message on the phone for someone who's been doing this for four years you know mm. completely in secret sniffing the amount i would sniff and getting away with it you know and oh man it was awful I don't, I, I don't share this that much often in the rooms, but um, mm. do you know how powerless I was over cocaine, right? It, it, she caught me and we were both in my car and I dropped her off because we left her car somewhere else and she was disgusted and she called me She called me some names. And it's the first time I've ever looked at anyone and looked in their eyes and they've given up on me. Mm. You know, I've seen her angry with me, you know, because I've done stuff that deserved to be angry with. I've never, ever seen anyone just give up on me. 
you know, and this is someone I spent 14 years with, mm. you know, and that was it, that was it, game over, she promised she'd leave me and she did, and you know, fair play to her, because if she hadn't, I probably would have died, and mm. um, she jumped in her own car and drove off, and do you know what I did? I didn't follow her, I didn't beg for forgiveness, the first thing I did was tip two grams of cocaine that I had in my pocket onto my iPhone, sniff them, because in case she checked when I got home, mm. you know, my life is falling around my ears, yeah. um, and I can't really remember whether she came home that night or what happened, but um, I went to work the next morning, and thankfully I got sacked yeah. <laughs> from a from a job that I <laughs> from a job that I'd taken on for early part of the year. This was April last in two thousand and seventeen, yeah. um, and I got released from my contract because uh, they were really nice about it. They said I didn't really fit in with what the business was trying to do in the future. Yeah. Um, but by this point, mate, I was in a terrible, terrible state. Yeah. But do you know what? Even then, I could not ask for help. Mm-hmm. I did tell my wife that I couldn't stop using, but that's only because I got caught red-handed. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and then I lose my job, and I'm still using because I mm-hmm. don't know what else to do. And you know, you said earlier about changing the way we fit and you know, that doing something that to protect us. Now, all now I'm in all sorts of pain. I know mm-hmm. my marriage is over. Mm-hmm. I've lost my job. I remember I had twenty-six pence in my pocket, and she cancelled all the cards, you know, I've got credit card problems all over the place, you know, I went bankrupt and wrote off well over £100,000, mm. um, you know, I totally told you how much I've spent in the nine months leading up to I've remortgaged a house, I've done everything I, I possibly could to, to continue my using, mm. and I still carried on, and I still couldn't ask for help, because I just didn't know, I didn't know what to do. Um, mm. So the, the night before I came into recovery, I think it was sixth and the seventh, suicide became a, a real viable option mm. you know and i think for the law for those four years that i used after i got caught the first time i think if i'd have passed away in my sleep i'd have taken that because mm. i used against my will for 10 years but for the last four years it was absolute hell mm. you know imagine i know you don't say imagine but yeah. you know for other people imagine waking up in the morning and the first thing you think about is i'm not doing it today i'm not doing it today i'm not doing it today mm. And then within a minute or two, I'm doing it because I don't know how else to, mm. to live my life. I, mm. I can't do it. And, and then I used to time myself, right, I'm not going to do it for another 20 minutes, which sounds absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Um, but I'd last 20 minutes and I'd be white knuckling and, you know, I'd feel terrible and, and all these sorts of things. And, um, you know, I just could not, absolutely could not stop. And mm. uh, I just didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, so I remember sitting at home, I think that was the 7th of April, the very night before I came into recovery. Yeah. Um, we had horses and we had some high-powered horse tranquilizers, not not ketamine, but um, I think they're called ACPs. Mm-hmm. I remember counting them up and working out, well, they, these could uh, put a 650-kilo <coughs> horse out several times. So if I take all of these plus all this COVID and all this booze, that would be it. Mm. Um and that's the first time, you know, it, it was close, really close. Mm. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And I think, I think to be fair, I just sniffed myself silly and drunk. Um, and then it was the next morning, you know, and I remember going back to the cupboard and opening the cupboard and looking at these pills. And when I used, like I used, I'd often walk the corridors of the house um, because I just had all this energy and I was all, all, you know, absolutely off my nut and just nothing to do, you know, just paranoia that someone mm. was looking at me or someone was going to get me and, yeah, it was, um, yeah. So I desperately wanted to take my own life, and I know at that point that I couldn't resist my head. Mm. You know, my head's telling me it's game over. I know that I'm on borrowed time because eventually the fear of taking my own life won't override the fact that my head's telling me that I need to do that to, mm. to get out. So 
So was that like, was that like the darkest point for you? I think, you know, throughout the years that, you know, 20 years or so you were using, did this kind of become like the darkest hour? I think actually, I think that came a few days after. Mm. Um, you know, my, my, uh, my wife, who, like I say, we, we're not over together, haven't seen her for over a year, um, well, for, for around a year. Uh, the last thing she did for me was she got someone to take me to, to um, a 12 step fellowship. Mm -hmm. um, and I went into that 12 step fellowship <laughs> and uh, I was absolutely in bits. Um, and what happened was, thankfully, my mum and dad flew home from the holiday. They didn't know anything about this poor, poor parents that they were. Um, they didn't mm -hmm. know anything about this. They landed on the Sunday. I went to Cocaine Anonymous, which is the 12 step fellowship I mentioned, on the Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, and by Monday morning, I was back living with them um, because it was the right thing to do because obviously I couldn't stay in the house anymore. And then I wasn't drinking and using all of a sudden because what one, I'd run out of money. Two, I was under armed guard, you know, because mum and dad wouldn't let me out in fair play to yeah. me because it, I'd have still gone and used. Yeah. You know, no matter after all this has happened, no matter, you know, I'm at the darkest place. Take drinking drugs away and I've got to live with myself, you know, and uh, at this point, I'm dealing with the fact that I already didn't like myself anyway, mm. and I haven't done since I was what seven. Yeah, you know, so that's the yeah, best part of 30 years of not liking yourself. But mm. Now I've got nothing to change the way I felt because mm. I'm not drinking or using. Yeah, not to mention the fact I'm on a very steep detox, mm. didn't even know cocaine detox existed. Yeah, because I'd never stopped long enough to have one. Yeah, um, and I thought I was going to die. Um, and add to the fact that I thought I cannot live my life like this. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, had I had the opportunity in those first five or six days of recovery, as it were, you know, or being abstinent, whichever you want to call it, um, if I'd have had the opportunity, I probably would have taken my life then. And yeah. um, that was worse than the night I came for in recovery. The only yeah. difference was that when I went into recovery and had, had that guy that day, mm. um, I realised that I wasn't on my own. Yeah. Because from the age of six or seven, I didn't understand why no one else felt like I did. Yeah. You know, and that never changed. Yeah. You know, because my, my interpretation of an addict was that, that heroin user mm. or that guy drinking a can of a super tea at the side of the road at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm. It wasn't me. Yeah. You know, even at that point. Yeah. I remember High flying job, yeah. doing well, you got the wife and you know, and horses. Horses and you know, and you know, I, listen, I, I remember being you know, working in the city, getting this this job that was paying me more money that you know some people would earn in a year. I was earning in a month. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, Jesus, man, like this is the high life. You know, this is why I dreamed of. You know, kind of the the paper dreams, the materialistic dream. Yeah. You know, I managed to get there from a little from a from a boy basically that had a son of seventeen, and basically got kind of written off as a bit of a loser. You're not going to be anything now you're not going to go to uni you're not going to do this you're not going to do that and i went all right i'll show you yeah. so i got there and then same went down that same route you know that same route and never thought you know couldn't couldn't wouldn't admit to myself that i had an issue you know like you just would not admit to myself that i had an issue with and it wasn't just drugs and alcohol you know it was sex it was relationships it was food it was pretty much anything I can get my hands on, you know, and sometimes it will, it will be, you know, together at some point, you know what I mean? All of them. What did that happen with you? I know, cause you mentioned, you know, drugs and alcohol, you know, were you cross addicting, you oh, know? I, and I mean, when I am, when I do my own bits and, you know, I'm active in a 
dogs that have a shit, which means I still take part and I still help others as I can. Yeah. I mean, I say I'm an addict in everything I do. Mm. Um, I've had fleeting issues with gambling. I've had fleeting issues with food, I've mm. pornography. I've got, you know, yeah. again, it's the same. I, I just assumed that I was doing it like other people. Yeah. You know, I've had issues with the gym and overtraining when I was in active addiction. Mm. Um, and I would always look for something to fix me. I was the master of a thousand hobbies that I never actually finished anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've got yeah. probably every kind of martial arts suit and all that sort of stuff. I <laughs> tried bodybuilding, horse riding, you know, you name it. It was, uh, yeah. there was always something to fix me. And that's what it was. It was to fix me. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would, anything that could change the way I felt, I would latch on to. Um, I, di I didn't realize it at the time. I suppose, you know, codependency, um, yeah, and that probably came out more so after you know after my wife left me and after I wasn't using drink or drugs anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, giving up drink or drugs, I'm not going to say it's easy because it wasn't. It was a it was a process that I had to follow, and I did. Mm -hmm. um, but once I'm left alone with me, and I'm still early in recovery, and I still really don't know much about myself because I've been using something to change the way I felt since I was seven. Mm. Um, you know, it's a scary thought. Mm. So I latched onto women. You know? Yeah, a woman will fix me. Yeah, you know, and everyone that looked at me smiled at me. I, I was just going to marry that person. You know, that's so mm. that's just my truth. Um, and that was hard because I, I got involved with someone, and it was only for a really short period of time, but it was so intense. Mm. Um, you know, and and that person at the time was in a similar predicament to, to where I was at and that's probably not the best the best way to go about things. Mm. Um, you know, because I was still pretty broken. Yeah. I, I might not be drinking and using, mm. um, but I was still pretty broken. I still had a lot of healing to do. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it's taken me probably only in the last couple of months I can actually sit with myself and say, Do you know what? I'd, I'm not bothered about not having a girlfriend. Mm. Um, as it stands at the moment, um, yeah. and it's not something I think about on a regular basis anymore. Mm. But early recovery, yeah, I'd have crossed it. I had a lot of tattoos done when I yeah. first came in. Um, I think some of it was some of it was celebration times because I had a tattoo done at every clean date marker. So yeah. you know, obviously, you know, we do 30, 60, 90 days, and mm. I had a clean tattoo done for each of those. Um, but again, I fell on fell into that thought: well, I could have another one. I could have another one. I could mm. have another one. Um, I started training at the gym and I did have to be careful with that because mm. I would just go to the gym to train mm. uh, because it changed the way I felt, yeah. you know, and it's, um, you know. Because it, <laughs> it's hard though, isn't it? It's not easy. And one of the things you mentioned as well, which by the way, you know, we wouldn't recommend anyone doing it. Obviously you didn't even know this yourself, you know, but if you are struggling with, you know, with drugs and alcohol and, and you know, you're, you're in a similar position where, where Kev was, you know, when you're using to the, to the dosages that you were, get some professional help, right? Because, you know, detoxing, I think you were so lucky as well to, to literally go, because you went cold turkey, didn't you? You literally <laughs> yeah. went cold turkey, you know, from using for what, continuously pretty much for 20 years yeah. and then, you know, using 10, 12 grams a day to just no alcohol, no drugs, no, cold no, turkey. Yeah, no substances. Yeah, you know, and, and I mean, thank God you're here, do you know what I mean? And to tell the story, and that's it. And that's the thing, it's such a, an incredible thing to be able to come out the other side, you know what yeah, I mean? I'm because, lucky to be alive. yeah, because there are so many people that don't, you know, but I, I guess one of the things I want to mention is to, you know, if you are in this position, you know, and, and you are struggling, man or woman, you know, 
get some professional help, you know, because it, it's so important, isn't it? You know, to, and, and there are a lot of, you know, help there and, and I'll post things on the website and you guys can contact me as well. I'll, you know, have the details at the end where I'll be more than happy to share any information and point you in the right direction of help, but definitely seek, you know, help because it's, it's available, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, I think I had a, a sort of like a minor knowledge of, of the um, the twelve step fellowships through through TV and perhaps through the odd friend who might have mentioned it, but I mm. never ever thought of reaching out to anyone. Um, for me, I was so scared I couldn't do it. Even at the end, even at the end, I didn't reach out. I was kind of dropped into recovery, thank God. Um, but now I've been around a little while. Yeah, there's loads of places that will help out. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, don't do what I did because you know you said about the darkest time for me when you've got no way of you know when you just stop cold turkey like I stopped. Those first five days were horrendous. Uh, and I remember thinking that I was going to have a heart attack on day five. You know, and uh, I walked. I've got one of those stupid apps on my phone that tell you how far you walk. Yeah. I walked seven miles around my and dad's house. You know, <laughs> they live in a three-bedroom council house in, um, you know, in, in Letchworth. So we're not talking like the grounds of uh, Hampson Park or anything like yeah. that. So, you know, but I could see that the worst thing was I could see the look on my dad's face. Mm. You know, because he was left at home when your mum went to work. You know, it was just pure fear. Yeah. Because he didn't know what to do. And neither did I, because my hands were going. I'm smoking 70 cigarettes a day at the time because I'm yeah. just chain smoking to, to replace as best I can that, yeah. that thing. Um, I'm absolutely psychologically screwed um, mm. because you can't take that amount of psychoactive substance without having, you know, I had issues anyway, yeah. you know, and, you know, all of a sudden stopping that thing that, that self medication, I was bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. I break down at the slightest thing because I didn't have anything to numb, numb my emotions. Yeah. You know, and, uh, well, this is it. I guess it, it, it's almost like you you switch yourself to kind of autopilot mm -hmm. and very quickly your body goes, mate, we didn't want this shit in the body anyway, so we're going to flush it out and your body just gets rid of it and all of a sudden you you start to to come back to life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's um, <laughs> it's a scary process. Mate, I remember. <laughs> I remember breaking down in tears one day, looking at some flowers, just because I think I've been so numb for yeah. such a long period of time. We were driving somewhere, and it was literally just like the beauty of the world that yeah. I'd not seen in twenty years or whatever, yeah. and all this sort of stuff. And and I think everything hit me—the realization of all the things I'd done that I knew in the back of my mind were coming. Yeah. I knew that I was going to lose my wife, my house, and everything else, and my way of life. And, you know, and I knew that I'd hurt all these people, and you know, and then I've got nothing to protect myself, so no drugs to protect myself from my feelings. And then all of a sudden, the healing starts. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm not used to feeling happy. I'm not used to feeling angry mm -hmm. because I didn't feel anything. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I was so even keel when everyone says, "I just can't believe how calm you are when I'm when I'm addiction." Because mm -hmm. I'm always off my face to a degree. Mm. No, no one knows I'm off my face. Yeah. But I am. I'm always using so mm. I don't feel anything. So I, yeah. you know, I remember the first time I felt angry in recovery was about two or three months in. Someone did something and I genuinely didn't know what to do myself. Yeah. Because I hadn't practiced dealing with these emotions yeah. for 20, 30 years. Mm. I tell this to people who aren't addicts and you know, they feel angry all the time and they don't have to, yeah. they don't have to put 12 grounds of Charlie up there <laughs> to, to, to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but, and I'm trying to explain to him, so well, look, imagine having like um, something that you do every time you're angry and it sorts it out and all of a sudden not having that and mm. having to learn how to deal mm. with it. You know, so 
it, bizarrely it was like it was like learning to live again yeah you know and, uh, take us through that journey man because you know i think it's and you, you touched on this and, and i'm a huge advocate i mean you know we're a happy company anyway do you know what i mean that's that's the point to, to our business you know and 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 so f- for me that's something that's so beautiful you know we've been in in, in this together and we, yeah, we have our journey together now you know where where we we're trying to kind of help as many people as possible do you know what i mean you Absolutely. know through this stuff you know but the most amazing thing that i found like you and this is the reason why i wanted to do this mm-hmm. was to show other men that the life that we think we should be living you know being macho numbing our feelings and not talking about shit you know and not being vulnerable and like you know vulnerabilities weakness blah 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 and all these you know it's like cliches you know things that we and to be honest it's no one's fault this is the thing it's just how it's what we've been taught you know throughout generations you know cavemen you know what i mean you know they were they were savages you know what i mean it's we you know fight or flight it was survival mode you know and, and i guess it's kind of stayed in that you know but i get you know as we've developed as human beings now i think you know where mindfulness meditation and, and stuff like that and being able to have you know wellness going to the gym looking after yourself the kind of healthy body healthy mind healthy spirit these things seem to be more readily available now um so do you do anything like that? Do you have a, a practice, you know, something that you do on a daily basis? Yes, I mean, my journey sort of to, to get better, if you like, started with a 12 step, um, 12 step program. So that's, yeah. for those of you who don't know, that's, uh, I follow, um, there's a book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the book that my, my 12 step fellowship chooses to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I was taken through the steps, there are 12 of them. Um, I suppose to simplify it, there's a, there's a kind of recovery triangle that I, I kind of live by. And it's not interesting. You said healthy body, spirit and mind. It's mm. kind of around that sort of stuff. You know? yeah. um, recovery forms the base of that triangle. Mm-hmm. So I do certain things every day um, that I have to do because that is what someone showed me and it works. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, prepared, I'm not prepared to put those bits down because there's too much to lose. And um, for me, if I go back out and start using 12 grams again, which is what I would do because that's how my head tells me to roll. Mm. Um, I'll probably kill myself. You know, mm. I have no tolerance for cocaine today. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. To use four would probably kill me. Yeah. Um, and I would definitely do that. Mm. Um, so, so I start my day off with gratitude, um, which is the best part of my day. So I get up first thing in the morning and I do what we call a grat list. And that is very simple. I just share with someone who is a sponsor, who's someone who helped me and my mum and my dad and my little brother and mm. my auntie. Mm. I send them 10 things that I'm grateful for. Yeah. Um, and it could be as simple as waking up alive, clean and sober. That's usually number one. It could yeah. be going out with friends. It could be going to the gym. And you know, and if I've done something with someone, like I went to an ice hockey game on Sunday yeah. with a friend, oh, I sent him, sent him that breakfast yeah. because I thought it was nice that he, you know, he knows that I had a good day because yeah. of partly because of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do that. Um, I I do pray. Um, which I never ever thought I would yeah. confess live life to the world. Um, <laughs> um, when I came into recovery, I was told to find a god of my own understanding. Yeah. And um, so, whilst I believe in something larger than myself, because I can guarantee you that I am not the most powerful thing on this planet, I've Definitely proved that not. for the last twenty-seven years yeah. very successfully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I practice. I practice trying to control everything, and I practice trying to do stuff my way. Yeah, and it just ended with a horrendous cocaine habit and a really unhappy 
first. Mm. Um, so yeah, so all I do is, I, you know, I kind of do a set prayer, which is in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, although I do ad-lib a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I do is I just ask for help today um, yeah. because, you know, I suppose, uh, you know, the Star Wars thing works really well. I am a Star Wars fan, like I said, yeah. um, you know, the, the battle of good and evil, mm-hmm. you know, no one's beyond redemption. Um, the sort of Jedi thing are based on Buddhist principles and they're quite nice principles to live yeah. by. Yeah. You know, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, so yeah, so I just, I, I just ask something bigger than me, whether it's nature. Mm-hmm. Don't know what it is, don't care, because it yeah. works. That's all I can tell you. Twelve days in, I didn't need to use anymore because I started doing this stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I do a little set of prayer. Meditation I do a lot of. Um, when I first came into recovery, it was absolutely essential and I would do it regimented three times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I used a an app um, that guided me through it because mm-hmm. my head was so, so quick. Yeah. You know, I couldn't have two seconds of peace let alone you know the minutes that i can get now quite easily um and it was practice and i hear lots of people say about meditation that they've tried it and it doesn't work and you know it took me probably three or four months of continuous three times a day before Mm -hmm. i started getting the benefits Mm -hmm. of it yeah you know because people say yeah but i can't think of nothing and i'm not that's That's for me that's that's not what it's about no um yeah i mean so yeah so 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 i meditate i kind of meditate most of the time really yeah you know even for a second Mm. I just take myself back to how I breathe in. Yeah, just mindfulness, isn't it? It's kind of practicing mindfulness and being present now, which is, which is something I definitely wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. I was either fearing the past and regretting the past and living in that kind of continuous remorseful life. Yeah. You know, whether I was cheating or I'd done something wrong or you know stole something, whatever it might be, the the night before, the week before whatever yeah. you know i'd be using based on that stressing and then thinking oh my god in the future is anyone going to find out am i going to be found out what's going to happen to me you know so on and so forth and and you know what to be present today just to be here like now talking to yeah. you on a level do you know what i mean you know so that hopefully one person that listens to this you know gets something out of it and they may be able to reach out to a friend and say listen i heard you're struggling listen to this you know it's this incredible ripple effect that life creates you know that just allows us to be able to to just be of service you know yeah and that's um you know i said about that triangle service is one of the other sides you know there's the there's the recovery aspect which is so recovery is everything i have to do yeah um the only other thing i do for a recovery aspect is i always review my day Mm -hmm. um you know with a view to and it's so simple. Have I been nice to people today? Yeah. You know, have I done something, however small, that, you know, I shouldn't have done? Was I rude to someone? Was I impatient? Was I selfish? Because I've already touched on the fact that I was very selfish in my mm-hmm. addiction. And that's not what I want to live my life today. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I have done some of those things, I try and put it right as quick as possible. Yeah. I don't, I don't now, I don't leave it to the end of the day. I try and do it as a go. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how we do it. But service is, the, is another part of that triangle. And, it started off as just service within the fellowship that I was doing things with mm-hmm. um, because that was, you know, my primary concern at the time was to be kept clean and sober. Of course. Um, but now I just try and, I don't know, I just try and be nice to people. Yeah, <laughs> which, sounds, which sounds, you know, everyone's probably thinking, well, we all do that, but, you know, but going out to the way Yeah. Yeah. But going out the way to open doors for people, you know, actively trying to be positive. You know, I post, I post something on Facebook pretty much 
99 wines out of 100, just saying have a great day, you know, mm. you know wishing people well. And, you know, I try and, I just try and do things that are positive. Yeah, just yeah. an act of kindness. Yeah. You know, and it, yeah. Sounds, it sounds simple, but, yeah. but you know, for someone who was so self-absorbed, you know, to let my life revolved around getting up and working out when I was going to score, how I was going to score all the way through the day to going to bed, going to bed thinking I'm never doing this again, I'm never doing this again, and then getting up and repeating cycle. Mm. Um, you know, it's a big thing. Yeah. And the last bit is, is unity. You know, I, I think I said earlier on that after Nan passed away, I felt really alone. You know, yeah. I was married at the time. And this is not, you know, I don't know if my wife would ever hear this, but it was never her fault. <clears throat> so, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't offer me what I needed because I needed to have, be around people who were like me mm-hmm. and to understand that I wasn't alone mm-hmm. because no one got why I was drunk and used. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've got that because I, I, I surround myself with people who are similar to me. Mm. Um, and uh, obviously we both take part in CrossFit. Mm. The similarities and the synergies between sort of a recovery lifestyle and a CrossFit lifestyle are amazing. It's pretty similar, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any CrossFitters are listening to this, but yeah. you know, we're, we're all love addicts. Yeah. So. yeah, you are. You're all yeah. addicts. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I, I surround myself with communities or be around people that are like me. And that's, you know, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of community spirit, a lot of events that we put on in recovery. There's a, you know, I've only been doing CrossFit a short while. Um, I've recently taken up boxing. And it's that same thing about surrounding yourself with like-minded people. Mm. Um, Sticking with the winners, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, someone told me that, but when I came into recovery yeah. very early on, stick to the winners. Stick with the winners, yeah, exactly. But this is the thing, isn't it? With, with life, I think it's, and it's not just, you know, with, with, with recovery, I've, I'm learning that, you know, sticking with the winners is something that we should do regardless. You know, it's something that we should do regardless. And I'm learning this, you know, and practicing this all the time, man. I will not tolerate or have anyone in my life now that brings no value to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think now that I've, you know, it's been a really steep learning curve for me because I'm just over a year and a week clean and sober. And that's, um, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. It's incredible. It is for someone who couldn't stop using it. Yeah. Twelve, yeah, and listen to this: twelve grams a day for almost for twenty years. You go cold turkey, and now you're over a year clean and sober. Yeah, and that, that yeah. includes no paracetamol and aspirin. I yeah. don't take. Uh, that's just my choice, not abstinence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just yeah. Um, because I also use paracetamol and aspirin in bizarre ways. Yeah, um, but you know, I I look at um, I I do have people in my life that are positive. Uh, and I'm not, I try not to judge people, but it's, it's hard not to judge people. But I can see how human, other people, yeah. I can see how other people let stuff off them. You know, I, we live in a world where things are perpetuated from a very early age. You've got to grow up and you've got to have this job. You've got to 2.4 kids. You've got to have a house. Bizarrely, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. Mm. You know, thank you, you know, to my mum and dad. I live in a caravan <laughs> out the front of their house. <laughs> I've got a 500 pound car that doesn't open, have any windows that open, which in this heat, <laughs> this heat's not yeah. that good. Yeah. Um, I, I work in a job where I don't get paid a huge amount of money, if, you know, and it's been a terrible winter for, for the profession that I'm now in. Yeah. Um, so I've been pretty broke for, for the last few months. Mm. Um, but at no point would I change my life today for, for what I had before. Mm. Um, because my life is fantastic today. Well, what does that teach you? And I think especially for people, you know, listening, 
And this is the thing now, we are now in a society where it is all of that. It is chasing materialism, it is chasing money. And I did this, you know, I'm guilty, you're guilty of doing this, of chasing, you know, the, you know, earning 10, 20 grand a month or whatever. Or even now, you know, I, I, I hear, you know, kids and, and, and I see this all over social media where before we would dream of being millionaires. Now it's the billionaire club. Now it's billions, you know, people want to earn billions. And let's get real here. It's not going to happen for, this is the reason why it says the two percenters, 99% or I'm sorry, 98% of people in the world won't ever achieve that. Yeah. You know, not because that they're, un, they're incapable of doing it, because I personally believe that every single one of us is capable of doing anything, yeah. everything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've proven that. What you've just told now, the story that you've just told proves yet again that anything in the world is possible you can overcome anything remove addiction away from you know from from the conversation and you stick you know depression which i'm sure you would have suffered but you got signed off from depression do you know what i mean yeah exactly you know you suffered from fear anxiety all of these things which you know if we remove again the the addictive label every human being suffers from this you know you came out of your mum, i came out of mine we start at one point and we finish at the end you know our emotions are exactly the same how we feel how we communicate we eat we drink you know and and we we experience the same emotions you know and and it's just how we deal with them you know and in life I, i i try to get this message across you know, as much as I can. And this is the reason why having you here, you know, it's been so great because, you know, I want to drive that message. Anything is possible. Everything. You can achieve anything, you know. But my question was, sorry, and I digressed, was you had all of those things. You had the huge house. You had all the animals and horses. And, you know, and you had this incredible job, you know, which is high-pressure job. And you were doing extremely well. As you described, you now live in a caravan in front of your mum's house. You've got, you know, this little car that gets you from A to B. And, you know, because of the job that you're currently doing at the moment, you know, in the weather, because we are in the UK, it's 99%, unfortunately, not great, especially with the winter that we've had. So from a materialistic perspective, you've been massively shortchanged. How do you feel? I feel fantastic. This is the thing, right? But it's, you know, it's... Uh, that bit for me about waking up with gratitude is so important. Yeah. Know, because I look at people and, you know, if you just take two minutes and have a look on social media, you'll see about people complaining about several aspects of their lives. And I'm not, I'm not under, under, you know, undermining their, their complaints because that's their, their shit. Mm. Um, but, you know, if something breaks on my car, I'm in a place today where I can just say, well, do you know what? That's, that's that's how it is. That it is, is what it is. There's, um, there's, I know you know about this, but there's there's a serenity prayer that, um, that you know about accepting what we cannot change, having the power to change the things we can, and, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm. You know what? I spend a lot of time thinking, well, is this something I can affect? Mm. And that's how I cope with stuff. You know, you, yeah. you touched on a bit about not living in the past and the future. It took me a long time to get to the point where I didn't think about all the wrongs that I committed. Um, mm. You know, I don't think about a date anymore. And not that's not to say that I'm sweeping under the carpet. I'm well aware of, of what I've done. Yeah. Um, and I'd be prepared to make amends to people I haven't. Um, yeah. I do not fixate on a future. Mm. 
you know, I'm not saying I don't have plans and I don't have goals because I do. Um, yeah, you all should. Absolutely. I've, yeah. done, I've done so much in the last in the last year. It's mad. I could, you know, it's not about an achievement list, but you know, things that I never ever thought I would do. Mm. You know, if you'd have told me a year ago I'd run a half marathon, I'd more than one, but I'd run a half marathon, I'd have done competitions, I'd have got into a boxing ring with with other boxers. Mm. Um, because you're training for a competition as well, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Talk to us about that one. Says, then... says he's sitting here with a black eye. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically, part of my journey was um, was always about, um, I was lucky enough that my friend, who lived around the corner from me, my best friend at school, when he heard about me coming to recovery, he started getting me lifting weights with him once a week. Yeah. And then I started going to a fit class um, a couple of times a week with a load of amazing girls, and I started getting fit. Mm. And I found that applying... The stuff I learned into recovery into physical challenges worked well for me. It changes I'm, everything. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> good at. I'm, you know, it's not a boast. I'm really good at going past the pain barrier. Yeah. You know, I've um, I've done, you know, I've done some quick five k, quick ten k times, and then when running wasn't enough, other things started cropping up. So CrossFit, and then mm. a friend of mine who I knew from school um, came up on Facebook. I hadn't spoken to him for ages. And it just seems to have fallen into place, which is how my life seems to be today. I kind of mm. go with the flow. And um, yeah, and he started doing a he started doing a boxing class in the local gym, um, Elite and Hitchin, which is cool. And yeah. uh, I went down there, um, and so and yeah, and all of a sudden the conversation said, "Do you want to fight?" And it just felt right to say yes. So in nine weeks, I've never done any kind of fighting just then. <laughs> um, in nine weeks, I'm going to be. I suppose if I'm good enough, I'm going to be up against someone who's of a similar level to me and yeah. you know, doing something. And is it going to be amateur, semi-pro, pro? No, no, no. It's, a, it's, a, it's very basic. It's white collar. So white collar. It'll be oh, white cool. collar, um, yeah. but there'll be you know there'll be people watching, and there'll be there'll be you know there'll be uh, someone else standing there trying to punch me in the face. Yeah. Um, but for someone who wouldn't go to the shops or walked home, you know, for twenty minutes to avoid his friends, for me mm. to get into a ring, yeah. With, a hundred, you know, potentially a couple of hundred people watching me. Yeah. To be punched in the face, you know, and and I always wanted to just, I almost wanted to justify that I'm not afraid about being punched in the face. It's it's not that for me. My fear is about not being as good as someone else. Mm. You know, fear of mm. you know, pain isn't so much of an issue as against being less than yeah. because I fear that and I've yeah, said that yeah. before yeah. Um, but you know so there's all these things now today you should forget about all the other challenges the fact that I can push myself and we're talking about fear in, in that respect I did my first sparring session on Sunday uh, last Thursday and I got a right black eye yeah proper one <laughs> it looks great by yeah. the way and, uh, <laughs> and it was sparring again last night and um, it's the first time in a long while that I've had that level of fear yeah because I went down to the gym and um and it wasn't about getting hurt, it was knowing that I was going to be the worst person in there, technically. Yeah. Because, you know, these guys have been doing it years and I've been doing it a week. Yeah. Uh, and I know rationally I should be able to justify myself in that way. But that fear was on me and it was telling me to go and leave and, you know, and that's how my head works. Mm. And, but I went there and I did it. I still got duffed up a little bit. Yeah. And, and that's how it has to be, you know. Yeah. I've got a mechanism today to cope with that stuff, but yeah, I am. I'm going to get in the ring in, in hopefully sort of nine, ten weeks, and and just challenge myself. Yeah, you know, just go up against but, someone else. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? You yeah, know, absolutely. we. You know, it's certainly. I, I know for you, and you've just you know said this, and you've proved continuously as well. You know that you can overcome those fears. You know, and a lot of it is 
you know, ingrained, whether we've learned those from our parents, whether we learned those from our peers, you know, or society, wherever we pick up, you know, these, you know, these learned behaviors, um, we pick them up. But the thing is, as quickly and as easily as we pick them up, we can retrain the brain to do the opposite. You know, we can retrain the brain to say, actually, no, we can do this. You know, the brain, and that's the beautiful thing. I love how the brain works and how the body just, you know, turns around. The body never fights, what, you know, is it, it, it just goes with it. And I think, and I, and I love that aspect of, you know, just really being able to, to challenge and it's exactly what you've done, you know? Yeah, and I, I, I kind of try and reverse things on his head. Like sometimes if I'm doing a, if I'm doing a half marathon or a long run, I'll post that morning on Facebook so everyone that knows me can see that I'm going to do it. Yeah. Because that way, they, my head will tell me from the second I start running or long before that you're going to pump this up, you're not going to be able to do it. Mm. You're going to want to stop. You know, and working with the people that I work with and training with the people that I train with, I know they experience the same thing. Yeah. And some people do stop because they feel like their head's yeah. telling me a lot. You know, I've got a reasonably good deadlift for my size. But my head always tells me, oh, your back's going to go on this deadlift. Mm. You know, and it, it always does it. Yeah. And that's just how my head works. And yeah. you know, you know, you're talking about that learned behaviour. Mm. I tell people what I'm doing, and a lot of times people will say to me, oh, "Be careful, you're doing too much." Yeah. And I do understand that people care, but sometimes yeah. it's almost people haven't even had the opportunity to process the information before they say, "Well, you're doing too much." Yeah. You know. Mm. You know, and it's that's a learned response. Yeah, but again, it's you know other people's fears get passed down, you know? Yeah. And, and, and this is the thing, and you know what? And it's absolutely okay, you know? You can do whatever you like. As long as you stay in your lane, you know? Let me stay in mine. Let me do me, you know? And that's what I was saying before about, you know, getting to this point in my life now where confidence was a huge thing for me, you know? Had no confidence, you know? I, I would come across as though I did, and I would put the brave face on, but inside, man, I'd be dying, you know? When, and now... Once now that I've kind of overcome this stuff and I continue to work on myself every day and now have the opportunity to, to help people, um, you know, it's, it's incredible this journey that I put myself through of, you know, just challenging myself all the time, you know, trying to grow mentally, physically, spiritually, you know, all the time, just trying to, to do something better every day. And because I've learned is that, you know, we were born limitless. We can do anything, and we proved that when we were born because we learned, you know, we, we're like lying then, little vegetables, not really doing much, just eating and pooping basically when we're babies. So all of a sudden, look at us, we're grown men sitting here, getting vulnerable, talking and speaking. So who says you can't do it? I, I, I believe we are limitless. You know, I yeah. I, if you'd have asked me a year ago, I would have, um, I would have written off anything I did before I started. Yeah, you know, I was great for that. Yeah, you know, that will never work. Mm. You know, if I want to do something today, if I feel it's right, because I do, I do go with a bit of meditation about if something feels right, I'll probably have a go at it. Yeah, you know, whereas before mm. I was put, I put blockers in the way. Yeah, you know, if you'd have told me about running a half marathon, I'd have told you I couldn't do that. Mm. You know, today, if you tell me. You know, there's a challenge that we're looking at doing. We're looking at doing the Pen 10, which is 10 times up and down that mountain um, yeah. in 24 hours, 40 miles. Yeah. Only 8% of people people make it. Yeah. I'm not scared about that at all. Why not? Because yeah, man. I think I just feel like I'm going to do it. Yeah. So another thing to add to the life list, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, and, and that's what life is 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 it's all about. You know, where do you get your passion from? 
where I get my passion from. Um, I suppose the gratitude that I have towards life in general today mm. drives that. Yeah. You know, I do wake up every day. I am very grateful just to be alive, just to be clean and sober, and everything else. You know, I know there's loads of cliches about grasping every minute and all that sort of fuzzy shit, but um, I do. You know, I've got. It's I, there for a reason, you know, isn't I, it? I wasted a lot of time in active addiction, <clears throat> not being able to enjoy the things around me. So I do stuff that I love today. Mm. You know, I've still got responsibilities. I've still got to work like, like most people have. Yeah. Um, but the things that I like doing. That, that's what drives me. Yeah. You know, I, I love being, I suppose a bit like, I love being around like-minded people. Yeah. You know, mm. just want to be happy and that's that's how I get that happiness. Yeah. You know. Excellent. So how would you like to be remembered? I think, um, do you know what, there's, there's a quality saying that I use quite a bit and yeah. it's, um, it's around the fact that what people think of me is none of my business. Um, yeah. And I use that a lot because part of my fear is, has always been about people pleasing mm. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I get up every morning and I genuinely do what I feel is the right thing to do. Mm. Um, if I affect someone, whether it's doing this interview, I know I've already affected someone who's, whose life is a hundred times better today than it was you know, because they were in a similar situation and we were drinking mm. and using. Mm. Um, and through social media, they came into recovery. Mm. You know, they they attribute and my social yeah. media and me with saving their life. That's, yeah. that's cool, man. Yeah, that's man. how I want to be remembered, I suppose. Yeah. You know, someone who helped someone else out. I'm not, I suppose I'm not bothered about if people remember me, sort of, you know, I'll care if he was the one who did this. But as long as I can have a positive impact on someone's life, Mm. that's good enough for me that's a that ripple effect isn't it yeah absolutely you know yeah. it's, um, it could just be making someone smart every day yeah you know that's yeah, uh, yeah. and you know what the, the thing is you do you know because you, you post on social media as you said mm -hmm. every yeah. day you know and there is always people who either comment or you know react to, to the post you know and then it's every time it's you know it's in a positive way yeah. and that in itself you know can can make such a difference to someone's day. Yeah. You know, commuting to work, something's gone wrong or whatever, and then they're kind of scrolling through Facebook and they see your message there. Yeah. And it's that instant thing, isn't it? Just saying that to someone or even just thinking about it now, have an amazing day. Yeah. It's, it's, Doesn't, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't even, even you just make, it's an instant thing that makes your brain goes, oh, it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. You know, it really, it really does trigger even, you know, I know people who, who hide it and say, oh, I have no emotions. You're lying. Yeah. You are lying. You know, everybody feels, everybody experiences, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about life is that, you know, as soon as we start, or the sooner we start, you know, understanding that, you know, the suffering that we live in, not just from addiction, just kind of generally in life, you know, chasing all of these things that, a lot of the times we just get pushed into doing because of how society dictates it. As soon as we start taking a step back from that and stop doing things for everybody else and start looking at what we really want to do in life, that's when we start taking those steps forward to having that beautiful life. Do you know what I mean? That you're so grateful for, that I'm so grateful for every day. Yeah. You know, it makes such a huge difference, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, it's so nice. I mean, social media is massive, isn't it? You know, I've yeah. got... Um, my Facebook, 
has the number of friends I've got now has tripled. <laughs> tripled since I've come into recovery. And a lot of people are recovery based. And, yeah. You know, I get that. But um, I'll do those positive messages. And every day I'll see someone that I've never seen before, as in liking or sharing a post, and yeah. they'll, they'll do something. Yeah. So I know that, you know, that, that bit about, you know, how do I want to be remembered? I suppose it's just someone who would have a positive impact overall. Yeah. You know, and it's so easy to do in that respect. You yeah. know, I'm not. I'm not going to, I'm not trying to go out and save people's lives every single day. Mm. You know, I'm just yeah. trying to do what I believe in every yeah. day. Awesome. Final one from me. Yeah. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and how would you use it to help change the world? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that was actually quite, quite a hard question to, to answer. But I think, if I could slow down time in the fact just purely so I could get more stuff done in the day, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. um, that, that would be, that would be it because my life is really full. Mm. You know, I've gone from someone who's, uh, you know, didn't do anything to, to literally cramming so much into, into yeah. life, you know, mm. and, uh, you know, spending time with friends, going to the gym, all, all those sorts of things, helping people. Um, you know, I don't have a telly in my caravan. I don't, and have the opportunity to sit and watch telly because that's my that's my choice. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, my life's mental. I, I, if I could slow down time a little bit just so I could get a little bit more in every day, that'd be cool. Had <laughs> a couple of hours. Yeah, that's right. Because aren't you studying to be a personal trainer as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah I'm studying to be a personal trainer. That's, a, yeah. that's kind of. I realised pretty quickly that I wanted to help people. Yeah. I didn't want to work in in recovery so much because I do that in my own time free. Yeah. You know, I help anyone that yeah. wants to help with people with addiction mm. charge you know, mm. as someone did for me. Yeah. Um, but I've seen people's faces light up when they hit a personal best or yeah. when they've taken their first few steps when I've been around and trained them and uh, thought, how cool would that be for them? Mm. So yeah, so I am studying to be a personal trainer. Yeah. Um, and that's, that is what I should do. Awesome, man. Yeah, brother. Man, I wish it all continues. Thank you so much for coming down. No, pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah.